0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and beginning at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died." Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. One of the saddest pieces of news I have ever heard was the story the other week of the woman who died at her desk at work. She had died there, but it wasn't until the next day that anyone even noticed that she was dead. No one missed her when she did not turn up at home. No friend called her and wondered where she was. None of her colleagues at work even noticed that she was dead at her desk. She died, and that was it. What a strange parable on the fate of modern life today, here in America and all around the world in our great urban centers that someone can be known as a hard worker and yet it not be known when she has died this sense of loneliness of not being known and not knowing other people is very acute in our world today is also is it not a strange paradox that such parables of loneliness take place at the same time as we celebrate celebrity. With the Oscars today telling us that being well-known and famous, walking down the red carpet, having your face on the billboards, and your Twitter followers numbering in the thousands and thousands, That is what counts. And yet I wonder how many of those celebrities feel that they are well known at all. I think it was Madonna who said that she did all of this in truth just because she wanted to be loved. There is this deep sense of alienation, of separation, of distance from life and life's meaning which runs through the experience of life in this world. It also runs through the experience of many churches from time to time, if truth be told. Even Christians brought up in Christian organizations. Now the passage we're looking at this morning comes, you see, at the heart of a series of letters between Paul and the Corinthian church. And for various reasons, the Corinthian Christians are feeling separated from Paul. There are these other impressive orators, and Paul is unimpressive as a speaker. And his credentials are a little backwards, and he is frankly a bit weak. Paul embraces that weakness in this letter and strangely is saying to them the strength, the power to deal with the deepest problems of the world is found in our weakness, which allows us to hold on to God's strength and grace. This is the heart of the vision that he receives the thorn that God will not take away from Paul. For God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Corinthians were looking to all sorts of strong and impressive solutions to the problems they were facing. And God is telling them that the solution is in the apparent weakness of the cross of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of God. It's so often true today, isn't it, that we tend to look to impressive, super-spiritual solutions to our fears, our failures, our loneliness. When the solution actually always begins with a fresh faith in Christ, with bowing the knee in prayer and listening to the word. This word here in these verses is full of some of the deepest theology that Paul wrote. And we cannot cover every aspect of it, but we can summarize it effectively in three ways. First... Know the fear of the Lord. This is verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul is explaining where his ministry motivation comes from. How he has the power to respond to the most profound difficulties of his time. And the first answer is that it comes from the fear of the Lord. That is why he persuades people. That is why he lives as he does. Sacrifices as he does. Serves as he does. He fears God. This fear is In particular, a fear of the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord that he is talking about is not a vague sense of dread. It is a particular fear based upon a particular event, which is that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So, if you want to know the secrets to Paul's persuasiveness. Well, then you need to know the fear of his Lord. This is not the fear of damnation. It is the Christian fear of coming before Jesus to receive an assessment for what we have done in our life, how we have used what God has given us. There is an assessment for the Christian. Our Savior will ask us how we have made use of the talents he has given us. And that reality, which we know, motivates us to persuade people. It motivates us because we know that we must give an account. It motivates us because we know that there is a judgment coming for those who are not in Christ. Now you may say, what does all this have to do with God's love? (laughs) It has everything to do with God's love because it has everything to do with God. Unless our sense of love is rooted in the biblical fear of the coming judgment of the Lord, then our love will be what it so often is in Christian subculture an excuse to live however we want. That is as far different from the love of Christ controlling us as it is possible to imagine. Because the love of Christ is always biblically combined with an eternal sense of the fear of the Lord. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That love is meaningless unless we continue the verse to include should not perish. Uh, There was a man who wanted to win the love of the girl that he adored, he bought her flowers. He uh, bought her clothes and dresses. He bought her chocolate. Nothing seemed to work. One day he finally plucked up courage to ask her to dinner. And she rather uncertainly had at last agreed and sitting around the table he attempted to sweet talk her. The meal had passed from hors d'oeuvres to entree to dessert to coffee. He had carefully practiced for this moment and uh, quickly scanned through the lines that he had learnt by heart but had written just in case in ink on the palm of his hand. And then he looked up and stared into her rather suspicious-looking eyes (laughs) and started to read. Shall I, uh, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? She yawned. He quickly scanned down the list and decided to try one of his own invention. Uh, Shall I compare thee to a black hawk Stanley Cup triumph? Thou art more lovely and have far more oomph. She didn't seem very impressed. (laughs) Finally, he put down his scribble list and decided to try being direct. What's the problem, lady? (laughs) He said, don't you like chocolate and poetry? What do I have to do to get you? The girl replied, "I, I don't want you to get me. I want you to respect me. Even at a human level, it's hard to believe we are loved unless we are also respected. But when we're talking about God and missions and ministry, our love has to be rooted in an eternal sense of the fear of the Lord. When Isaiah saw the holiness of the Lord and experienced the forgiveness of the Lord, he then was moved to say, here am I, send me, not here am I, send him knowing the fear of the Lord. Second, controlled by the love of Christ, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Controls there does not mean controls in the sense of control freak, but in the sense of defines or molds, constrains or shapes. Shapes. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Then going to verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, a text without A context is a pretext for a proof text. And here the discussion about the extent of the number of people for whom Christ has died, which is often done in this place, is not really what the thrust of this passage is about. Paul is saying that for those who are in Christ, so verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. For those who are in Christ, there is a mold, a shape, a constraint, a definition on how we behave and who we are, a shape, a mold, a constraint, a control without exception. Every single person in Christ is shaped, controlled, constrained, molded by The cross. That is, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We think of love as a noun when biblically it is a verb. We think of love as passive when biblically it is active. We think of love as an experience when biblically it is a sacrifice. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the Christian is someone who has received God's love by faith in Jesus' death on the cross in their place so that... Then, by the Holy Spirit, they become a new creation. That new creation follows the templates, the control, the shape, the mold of Christ's life. They are cross-shaped people. They are little S saviors. A 19-year-old suddenly suffered a seizure waiting for a train on the subway of New York City. Convulsing, he stumbled onto one of the tracks just as the train was approaching. A construction worker standing on the platform with his two daughters saw this uh, 19-year-old in trouble. And so just with a few moments to spare before the train hit him, he jumped down and sort of rolled with the young man into a drainage Trough in between the two tracks. He was made something of a hero. He was given $10,000 by Donald Trump, a trip to Disney World, a year's supply of Metro cards, and his boss bought him a hero sandwich. (laughs) I just did it because I saw someone in distress. He told reporters. Someone needed help. Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after takeoff from Detroit, killing 155 people. One survived, a four year old child. She survived because her mother, unbuckling her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter wrapped her arms around her and would not let her go. Brian Chappell tells the story saying, Nothing could separate that child from her mother's love, neither tragedy, nor fall, nor the flames that followed. Such is the love of our Savior for us. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that such is the love of the Savior. Given the eternal reality to come, our sinful lives, deserving of just condemnation at the judgment seat of Christ, that same Christ so loves that he gave himself for us. For those who believe, there is now no condemnation, not one, nothing. It is all done with. So, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In my tattered Bible, I have scribbled in pencil beside that verse, Jesus, our sin diode. Perhaps you know that a diode is a very small piece of electronic equipment that only allows electric charge to go in one direction. Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sin. It all went to him, all in that direction, so that all to us was his righteousness. In him, we become the righteousness of God. There is a review at the judgment seat of Christ for his dearly loved children. But there is no condemnation for we are in Christ the righteousness of God. And this is not a sort of gas or an ether that passes vaguely across the room to us. But that by virtue of being joined to Christ in him is a true declaration of righteousness that is ours because it is Christ's. In whom we are. All gone. All the sin gone. Only the righteousness. Only the righteousness. If you are a Christian, by that love of Christ, you are now a new creation. That construction worker's actions to save that 19 year old, that, that mother's actions to save her child. The cross is now the template that you have in your own spirit, in your own person, as the new creation. The old order of living a life for yourself, of going about going through the religious motions of church attendance and being a quote unquote good person, apparently. That's gone. You are now a little s, Savior, a little c, Christ. This is your model. Your whole life is controlled by the love of Christ. That is, it is modeled, shaped, constrained. The template is the love of the cross. So I want to see a generation at Wheaton who are this new creation. Not going through the motions of Christian subculture, but Christ ians little Christs shaped by the love of Christ. Fear of the Lord, the love of Christ. Third, receive the call of missions. So, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What, how to be reconciled to God? Again, verse 21, Jesus, our sin diode, if you like. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Then chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, then, because of the template, because of the mold, because of the constraint... Because of the definition, the new creation, working together with him, co-laborers with God. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That is not to reject it, not to make it pointless, meaningless, by living as if you had not received it. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Quoting from Isaiah that Paul is saying was predicting, in the end, as the ultimate prediction, predicting the coming of Christ. And so Paul concludes, because Christ has come now, behold, now is the favorable time. This is the moment when Christ is being preached that salvation, behold, now is the day of salvation, is on offer. Once we know the fear of the Lord, once we are controlled by the love of Christ, then we receive the call of missions to make that offer to other people. Paul, of course, was an apostle, so his ministry was different from any of ours. Yet the message is the same, and it is still the day of salvation. So while we will have different ways of being ambassadors for Christ, depending on whether we are full-time Christian workers or full-time Christians at work, in some way or other as Christians, we have a ministry of reconciliation That is, of presenting the gospel to those around with an urgency and an appeal and a freedom that comes from knowing that we are free. Taking that ministry of reconciliation with the shape of the cross, therefore with love, that is, at considerable personal cost. Through the work of missions to the furthest corners of the globe. And even the very short route to our neighbor. Not everyone will receive the message. There will be those tethered to their desk at work. Alone to their dying day, there'll be those surrounded by the false friendship of fame, temporarily inoculated against their loneliness to their dying day. Some rejected even Jesus. Not everyone was susceptible to Paul's persuasion. But there'll be those for whom a mother's love, a construction worker's bravery... The cross of Jesus Christ represented now by those formed in that template, that mold, that shape. That will make the difference between death, judgment, condemnation, and reconciliation, salvation, righteousness. Made a difference to me. can make a difference to you and through us as ambassadors of love to the world. Let's bow in a brief prayer. Father, help us this morning to receive your love. Knowing the fear of the Lord, being molded and shaped the constraint, the control of the love of Jesus Christ, to receive your love, to be shaped by that, and as your new creation, to take that message to our neighbor's.